The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Well, this morning we're starting week two in the series that we began last week, which is entitled Real God. And this week we're going to look at uh, one of the just incredible attributes of God, and that is the goodness and severity of God. If you remember last week, we asked the question, is your God big enough? We kind of set the stage with recognizing and realizing that oftentimes our view of God is not exactly what the Scriptures reveal as who God is. Someone said that the human mind is a perpetual factory of idols, meaning that we often like to make up a God in our mind that kind of fits our needs rather than recognizing who he is and responding to him and worshiping God for who he is. We kind of began with the premise and saying that, that all of our problems stem from a distorted view of God. That all of the problems that you and I face, primarily in our decisions in our life, are skewed oftentimes because we don't have the right image, and we may have a mental cognitive image of the nature and character of God, but in our hearts, we really don't believe that God is who He says He is. Amen? We said that oftentimes we create this image of God in our minds and we like to create an image of God that is just a little bit bigger than us, right? That I don't want him too great, but I would just want to create a God that's a, a lot like me. And we often do that. Let me ask you a question and I want you to repeat in unison if you know this phrase. God is good better than I thought you would do this morning. Let's do that again. God is good. God is good. Do you really believe that? All the time? Paul writes in Romans chapter 11 verse 22, and he reminds those Gentiles of the, the demise, if you will, or what happened to the Jews who failed to believe God for who he really was. And Paul writes this. He says, I want you to note the kindness. Some translators translate that word goodness. I want you to note the goodness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen or lacked in faith to believe, but God's kindness or his goodness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So Paul here wants us as believers, he reminds us that I want you to keep in mind, I want you to note the goodness of God. Keep it ever present in your mind. Keep it before you. Meditate on the goodness of God. But also, at the same time, we need to be aware of the severity of God. The key word in that verse is that little word, and. Because you can't have the goodness of God without the recognition of the severity of God. 
You see, both of these are attributes of God. Sometimes in our mind, we like to take the attributes of God and place them in a rank. And oftentimes, we, we have one or two views. Oftentimes, we will have all of the, the, the great characteristics and attributes of God that we love to say God is good. We love to say God is gracious. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. God is steady in his steadfast love. But we don't always like the fact that God is a holy God and that God is a God who judges and God is a God who brings justice and In this room, we will find that most of us like to emphasize one or two of these characteristics of God, but we have to recognize that God is not like us. You see, it's difficult for me to act in grace and at the same time act in judgment. My children will attest to that. But God is not like us. And that God doesn't turn off one attribute to turn on the other. But all of these things are true about God. And that's why he is such a great God. You see, both of these attributes of God appear hand in hand and side by side throughout Scripture. And they're all within that economy of the graces of God. We have modern ideas about God or God's that are, God, ideas that are prevalent oftentimes in our culture, and we see it growing more and more, and we see it growing more and more even in the church, in the body of Christ, that we like to take the view of God as proposed in Scripture and make it to our own likings. We kind of have a hodgepodge mixture of who we imagine God to be. Sometimes we're guilty of taking God, a little bit of God from from this religious faith and and a little bit of God from this religious faith and a little bit of God from this little little religious faith. And can I tell you that God is not a syncretist. God is one and is one and only. Amen? And so we have these distorted views of God. Oftentimes, we like to take our view of God from sources that are not found or contained within the Bible, the scriptures that we have. What comes to mind oftentimes are those programs that sometimes we like to watch on the History Channel or the Discovery Channel or some other channel, and they paint a picture of who God is, and sometimes we can say, well, you know, I like that idea about God better than what I have heard all my life or grown up knowing or to see what the scriptures say. And oftentimes we like to develop a view of God. And this is particularly dangerous in our setting today. It's not old, but it's having a resurgence within the body of Christ today is that we like to have a God that seems to kind of eradicate or or separate or exclude the idea of man's fallen nature and man being corrupted by sin. You see, we don't like the idea sometimes of a God on this other part, the severity of God, because God is who he is, and he must judge sin, and we don't like the idea of a God. And sometimes, if you've ever heard this phrase, well, my God would never. You ever heard that? 
My God would never. You see, that's a God that we've created in our own mind. That's a God that we pull down from his glory and his goodness and his greatness is who he is. And we try to make him fit into our mind what God is. And this idea of that eratification of, of any guilt or responsibility before a holy God. Uh, Sheriff Levitt and Butch both mentioned today that in our culture, there seems to be this degrading idea of any authority in our lives whatsoever. Well, can I propose this morning that the reason in our culture that that has eroded more and more and is continuing to get worse because in the public arena, we are afraid of saying that God is God and God is a holy God. Amen? You see, when children don't learn that as they're growing up, that there's someone else that they are accountable to. There's someone else that requires of them. Then when they're not learned that, my goodness, it's not unexpected that when they get to be in a young adult or even teenager today, that they have no sense of there is a greater responsibility that they have to one outside of what they see. You see, the very substance of Christianity the very fiber of Christianity is that we have faith in Jesus who forgives sins through the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. You see, if we take that out, if we take out the equation of sin and justice and severity of God, then we have no Christian faith. Why else did Jesus come to die on a cross, take your sins and my sins upon him, experience the wrath of a holy God that we deserve so that we might have the forgiveness of sin? There's only one reason. is because there was no other way to eradicate that other than through the goodness of God. Now, this morning, what I want to focus mostly on in this sermon is that fact of the goodness of God. You see, I'm going to show that I think oftentimes while we may believe that God is good, we don't always believe that God is good. We know that God is good, but we don't always really believe that God is good. This word goodness that we have in our English translation has the idea of one who is pleasant, one who is joyful, one who is agreeable. Other ways that that same word is translated is that he is a noble God. He's admirable. He's worthy. He's moral. And at the very core of all of those things, when we speak of the goodness of God, the scriptures speak of the generosity of God, that the God of the Bible is a generous and good God. I love what J.I. Packer wrote regarding this. He said, generosity expresses the simple wish that others have what they need to make them happy. Now, I've stated before that God's business is not about making us happy. Sometimes God's ways don't always make me happy. Amen? But because God is good, we recognize that he is a sovereign God. And that anything that comes in your life or my life first passes through the fingers of a loving and gracious and generous and good God. And God, according to J.I. Packer, at the very essence of all of this, he does what's best for those that he loves. See, the problem is, 
and maybe I should just speak for me. The problem is many times I don't believe that God is good all the time. You see, sometimes I get this Santa Claus image of God. And my Santa Claus image of God is this, that if I have been good, then what's God going to bring me? Goodies, right? Or if I am bad or I'm not living up to the standards of ideals of of what I believe I should as a Christian, if I'm not good, then Santa Claus is going to bring me what? Coal. And some of us live our Christian life that way, believing that somehow or another our actions or inactions can change the character of God. Nothing can change the character of God. He is who He is, and He always be. He, he's the same yesterday, to, uh, today, and forever, and God is good. I don't know about you, but as a father and as a dad, I always wanted what was best for my children when they were growing up. Now, there were some times, and Sarah was the worst. She was the rebel of my two. There were some times that she didn't understand that when dad said your curfew is 11 p.m., she thought that dad was being a bad dad and not a good dad. But what she didn't realize is that there is nothing good that happens after 11 p.m. for a high school student. Amen? I can remember when I was growing up, and maybe I've shared this story with you, I was 17 and I was about to, to in my mind, become an adult, and I had the idea that the, the restrictions that my dad had placed in my life were, were really because he just wanted me to miss out. Dad didn't want me to have a good time. Dad didn't want me to enjoy life. And, and my curfew at that point when I was a senior in high school was 11.30 p.m., And as time went on, I began to slip in at 11.35, and Dad would be at the kitchen table when I got in. The following weekend, it became 11.40, and then 11.45, and the straw that broke the camel's back when it was a few minutes past 12 when I came in the house, and my dad said to me, I want you to give me the keys to your car. And I thought, okay, I'll give you the keys to my car because back in that day, we had to pay for our own car, right? Remember those days? And so along with the keys to my car, I went into my bedroom and I got that little passbook. Remember when they had the passbook that you tore out the payment stub with it? And I I brought that into him and I had my insurance notice that was due on my car. And I gave all of that to my dad sitting at the kitchen table and he took it and I thought, yeah, he's going to pay all of that. Well, the next morning, Saturday morning, I get up and my car is not out on the driveway. To my surprise, I realized that my dad had parked it a mile up that country road on Highway 81, and it had a for sale sign on it. I repented. You see, I thought dad wanted what was bad for me. I thought dad was withholding from me, but now I realize that, that dad was doing that because dad was a loving dad and he was a good father and he wanted me to have a good, prosperous, happy life. You see, that's who God is. You see, again, many of us 
have the idea that he's not good all the time. Can I prove that to you? Let me ask you the question. Well, you say God is good and God is good all the time, and then I would ask you this question. Then, then why do we often disobey him? Why is it that when we say God is good all of the time, why is it that we sometimes or all the time withhold our giving from God? Why is it then if we say that God is good all of the time, sometimes we don't wait for him and and maybe if we're a believer, we go out and just find the best looking Romeo we can knowing that he's not a believer, but we think somehow we're going to change him and then we marry him. Why is it that we don't want to wait on God? we say God is good and God is good all the time, then why do we continue to allow segregations in our heart and our mind where we intentionally separate ourselves from others that are not like us and don't follow that golden rule that Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, and that love means action. Can I tell you why? Because sometimes we don't believe that God is good and that if we obey, then He has so much better for us. You see, if I really believe that that God is good all the time, then I'd recognize and realize that while it's challenging, while sometimes it's not what I want to do, and sometimes it's something other than what I, with what I want to do, and he, and he calls and leads me to do that. If I really believe that God is good, then I know that he's not holding out for me, and his ways are always good. I love what the psalmist writes in Psalm 34, verse 8, the second half. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The picture there is is one of consuming something that is just delicious and delightful. And the psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And in the next verse, he says, those who fear him lack no good thing. You see, there's that recognizing and following in obedience that God is good. Let me ask three a question here. How does God reveal his kindness or his goodness to us? How has God revealed his goodness to us? A story that quickly comes to mind is that which we find in Exodus chapter 33 where Moses had witnessed God's miraculous signs through the deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt with the ten plagues that came on, and, and they saw the sea part and, and then pass through, and they saw Pharaoh's army be consumed by that, and all the miraculous signs that, that God did for the children of Israel while they were wandering out in the desert. And at that part in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 and 19, Moses had seen all the miracles of sign of God. He had seen the mighty works of God, but there was something more that Moses recognized that he hadn't seen. And he says to God, God, please show me your glory. Now, if I'd been Moses and I saw the cloud by day and the fire by night, I would have thought that was the glory of God. No, that's just the work of God. You see, we might see all the works of God in our life and and in others' lives, 
But that's not the glory. That's not who God is. Who God is is his very nature and character. And in that is why he is to be glorified and magnified. One of the goals that I have, I hope, through this study of the real God is that it changes the way we worship him. And we worship him in adoration, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of our lives knowing who God is and having a life in that. And there's what God says to Moses after he says, God, I want to see your glory. (laughs) I wish we had a fog machine right now. (sighs) No, I don't. We won't have fog machine here. Sometimes that's what we think of as God's glory. But God says this to Moses. He says, I'm going to show you my glory, and I will make my goodness pass before you. You will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will show be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. A.W. Tozer writes this in the knowledge of the holy. He says, the goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of good will toward man. In chapter 34 of Exodus, after God had had told Moses, I'm going to reveal to you my goodness. Moses is up there on a rock, and he's, he's waiting in the cleft of the rock, and God's going to hide him with his hand because if he sees all the glory and the goodness of God, he'll just fry, he'll just melt. And the Lord passed before him, 34 verses 6 and 7, and he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God that is merciful and gracious, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin, but who in no means clear the guilty. So we see a God who declares himself in all of these attributes as a God who is a generous and who is a good God. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that God is a good God? Do you believe that God wants to display all of these attributes to you in your life? J.I. Packer says this about this passage. He says, within the cluster of God's moral perfections, there is one in particular which the term goodness points. The quality which God specifically singles out from the whole when proclaiming his goodness to Moses. He spoke of himself in goodness and truth. And the psalmist says in 84.11, For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows grace and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You see, God, by his very nature, being a good and a generous God cannot help but bestow to give out blessedness in the lives of those who are his children. How many of us believe that? That God is a good God? Three quick ways that I want to share with you that scriptures tell us how God has revealed his goodness to us. The first is in Psalm 145, verses 7 and 9, and then verses 16 and 17. I would encourage you after today to read all of Psalm 145 and just meditate on the truths of it. The psalmist writes, they, meaning the generations that have gone before, 
And so he's speaking to all of us in the baby boomer and up generation, right? They speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Your open hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all of his works. I used to call my dad in his latter years. I was in South Florida. Dad was here. And I'd call dad on a very regular basis and I would ask dad, dad, how are you today? And I knew dad had a, had a lot of crackly bones, right? And dad would always say, I got up. The very breath that we breathe is a gift of God's goodness. The very life that we have is a gift of God's goodness, whether it's a life of plenty or a life of little. Look around and, and all of what's natural. You know, I love nature. You know, I love gardening. And I love walking around in my garden every night. And I, and I look at every single plant, Susan. And I think, God, you're so good. The other day after we had several days of dry weather, I must have looked like a spectacle to my neighbors because when it began to rain, I was out saying, God, you're so good. Then I heard a clap of thunder and I ran in the house. <laughs> I've never seen the righteous begging for bread, the psalmist said. And while you and I may not always have what we want, we know that we have what we need because God is a good God. You see, my image is skewed of what's necessary in life. What's necessary in life is just one more plant in the backyard. My wife said, amen. But God has given me all that I need. Reflect back in the blessings in my family and realize that God has been good. I was FaceTiming with my son last week and to see that new grandbaby laughing and I look at it and I say, God, you are so good because the joy that I've had as being a dad now, my son is finally recognizing your goodness and that you give life. God is good. The second way he's revealed us, his goodness to us is in through special deliverances. You'll have to read this later, but in Psalm 107, David recounts all of the times that, that God has delivered his people in special instances, and I would challenge you in your mind right now to go back through your life and look at episodes and instances where all seem to be just broken and crushed, and look where you are now, and that God, while he may not have rescued you out of that instance, what God has done through it to bring healing and restoration has been nothing short of the goodness of God. 
In Psalm 107 and verse 2, we, we see very quickly that, that God has rescued us from our enemies, those who would come against us. And the greatest enemy that he's rescued us from is that enemy, the devil himself and all his little demons. God has rescued us when we have spiritually drifted. We find that in verse 4. How many of you have ever spiritually drifted? Everybody, you just did because you lied when you didn't raise your hand. I thank God for the Holy Spirit and His gentle ways. And when I might be just checking off all the boxes of going to church, giving my tithe, reading my Bible, and and my faith has become a stale rote method, the Holy Spirit has been good to rescue me spiritually and bring me back into that fellowship that is so sweet. Verse 10, He's rescued us from the shadow of death. Now, we understand that we'll all face that, right? But it's in that time that He is with us in that. I thought of Miss B's passing, 92 years of age. We had her funeral yesterday, and how that God, even through that, would have carried her right into His presence. Verse 20, He heals our disease. Verse 29, He saves us from life's storms. Lastly, I want to point out this, that God has demonstrated His goodness to us in this, number one, through Jesus Christ, His one and only Son. If for no other reason, and we can't see the goodness of God, we know that He has displayed it through the goodness of His Son. Jesus is the proof of God's goodness. If I'd been God... You all ought to be glad I'm not. If I were God, the moment they messed up, I would have cut them off. I have this fallacy in my personality. The Holy Spirit's working on me. I'm just being honest, being vulnerable. It's easy for me to cut folks off when they hurt me. Anybody else like me? Am I the only bozo in the room? I'm so glad God didn't cut me off when I offended Him. Hmm. You see, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I've been God. I'd have just Cut you all off. Aren't you glad God didn't do that? And see, Jesus is also the guarantor of our future goodness. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, God is good. He's a good God. He's a generous God. And if you come to faith in Christ and you're one of His children and and as your Father, He wants nothing less than good for you. 
I thank God for his disciplining hand in my life because discipline comes only because he loves me. But that God is a good God. How do we respond to the goodness of God? I'm going to give you four brief things, very brief. The first way that you and I need to respond to the goodness of God is to appreciate the goodness of God. How do we appreciate the goodness of God? Every day, God, thank you so much. God, I thank you so much for your goodness. God, I thank you that you saved me. God, I thank you that you've made me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God, I I thank you that through Christ you have seated me in the heavenly places with him where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And I know that many times I don't act like it, but God, I'm seated there with him. God, I appreciate the blood that speaks not only at the moment of the cross, but God speaks today in my life and, and covers my sin. God, I thank you that you are a good God. The second is this, that we appreciate the patience of God. You see, one of those descriptions that he gives to Moses is that he is, he is long-suffering. He's steadfast, abounding in love that he's slow to anger, and I thank God for his patience in my life. And we need to appreciate that the times where we have spiritually drifted, the times when we were adamantly opposed to God, that God was patient and merciful towards us, desiring that none should perish but all come to eternal life. The third thing, I, I do need to appreciate the discipline of God. Just like I didn't appreciate my dad's discipline, now I recognize he disciplined me because he loved me and he was a good father. We have a good father. Lastly, I would say that we want to respond by claiming the promises of God. Let me read for you again Psalm 84, verse 11. In closing, the psalmist writes this, For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows grace and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.